0: Wow. You know, I've heard, you know, being in Christian circles and minister circles and things like that, I've heard other ministers get really tweaked out about that song saying, How can you say that God's love is reckless? That it's swerving all over the place. You know why his love is reckless? It's because we're reckless. It's because we're the ones swerving all over the place. He's got to, he's got to adjust for us. And it's not that it's not pot, not It's not that it's not not possible for him. Everything's possible for him. But we're the ones that are swerving. And his love will go wherever you're at. Your highest highs, your lowest lows, it's never out of focus for him. And as I was standing there listening to Terry tell that and as I was listening to this song and as you're listening to these lyrics, <clears throat> I, I, I was thinking about like watching Discovery or something like that or the Wild Kingdom. You remember Wild Kingdom? Marlon Perkins and Jim. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> um, that just dated me and it probably dated you if you know what I'm talking about, but how going off into the wild, going off into the, the Serengeti on one of those safaris or whatever, those animals, you, you're stepping into their territory. And when you step into their territory, you become the weak one and they begin to get reckless They start following you around. They're untamed. They're not keeping away from you. They are coming after you because you stepped into their territory. God is no different. When you step into his territory, he's after you. He's coming to get you. He's untamed. He's unfettered. He's unstuck. He's coming after you. He's coming after you. And I hope he gets you. Because we, all, we are all in that place at times. We're all in that place at times where we feel like we're far away from him. We may feel that way, but he never, never feels that way. He said, surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. If you feel like you're away from him, just turn around. Like Terry said, just 180. When she did a 180, 180, boom, she runs right into God because surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Oh, God, thank you so much, Father. Oh, God, thank you so much. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. More of your presence, more of who you are. More of who you are, God. More of who you are, God. We want to experience you more. We want to encounter you more more, God. We're in your territory now. You come. You come to us. Chase us down. Take us down. Take us down. Take us down. Step out of that Jeep in the Serengeti. Step into his territory. Step into his territory. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, we just thank you. We praise you. We glorify you. We magnify you. We worship you. You are good. You are good. You are good. More of you, God. Less of us. Less of us. Oh, we thank you. We praise you for who you are today. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your kindness. Thank you that your grace leads us and your mercy follows us. That we're never out of your presence. We're never out of your reach. Never. Never. Thank you, Father. Father, we look forward to your kingdom every day. Not just the kingdom in the sweet by and by, but every day. We look forward to your kingdom we look forward to more of your kingdom. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you so much, God. Thank you so much. In Jesus, Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Well, before you sit down, tell somebody hello. I know you've probably already done that once, but say hello to somebody. And before you sit down, if y'all would give Miss Kirsty a happy birthday, Kirsty up here on. The... Wow, that's tall. Amen. Happy birthday. Alright, good morning. How are you all doing today? Who used this last? I thought I did, but it is tall. Can you help me just lower this down just a little bit? I feel like I'm hiding behind it. Down, down, down. Okay, right there is good. Didn't go down much, but it's enough. Alright, how are you all doing? It's good to see you today. Good to have you in the house. want to welcome our Facebook live people and our platform, our N3C.TV platform. Thank you so much for joining us this morning or whenever you're watching. I don't know if you're live or if you're Memorex, but um, <laughs> I'm dating us all today by these old sayings, and the young people are going, What? I don't know if I'm in the right place or not. Anyways, um, <clears throat> it's good to see you guys this morning. Um, how many of you were here last week or watched last week's message? Um, I told you there, there is a part two. It, it's really not a part two. It's still a continuation of what I started last week. And, uh, last week I started a, uh, a message out of Luke chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles, you can go over to Luke chapter 19. Um, I'm going to be coming from the passion translation again and, um, my wife has really pushed this on me, <laughs> this passion translation thing, and uh, it's it's really good. It's I, I really like it. And um, anyways, uh, I, I started last week in Luke chapter 19, and what we started talking about last week is occupy. That that uh, I started a parable in Luke chapter 19, and in Luke chapter 19 there's a there's a parable that Jesus told. His, his disciples or his followers. And in, within that parable, the words occupy, the word occupy until I come was the phrase that was sticking out in my head for about three weeks before last week. And, and I, I really, I, I heard the, those words and then I had to go look it up. And then I couldn't find it. So I had to go back to my King James, my old King James Bible. The, the, you know, the these and the thou's and the durst thou's and the ifs, all the ifs, you know. You sneethe, sneetheth and you snotteth and, you, you know, all the ifs in, that are in there. And so I had to go back into that to find this phrase, occupy till I come. And I found it. it's in the middle of a... Parable that Jesus was telling his uh, his followers, and so last week we started talking about that, and and um, they were they were just fixing to come into Jerusalem for the very last time. Now, do y'all understand fixing to <laughs> fixing to that? I'm okay so it's fixing to it's about to commence is what it means. <laughs> so they're they're about to come into into Jerusalem for the very last time, the last week that Jesus was alive, and in his ministry. And his followers have, are highly anticipating that Jesus, they, they believe, they believe Jesus is king. Amen. Amen? Amen. Just like we believe Jesus is king. So they have this great anticipation of his coming into the kingdom and, and setting up his kingdom, conquering Rome and, and, and taking down Rome and taking down that government that he was under. Or that they were all under, and and so they're 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 anticipating this to happen, and Jesus knows it's not going to happen that way. Jesus knows it's not going to happen the way that they think it's going to happen, and so in order to help them try to understand a little bit without just coming out and saying it, he tells them this parable, and in the King James it's called the parable of the pounds. In the New King James, it's called the parable of the Minas. And in the other translations, it's just the parable of the good servants and the bad servants. (laughs) So I don't like that one. But here in Luke chapter 19, I'm going to go to verse 11. And I'm not going to read this whole thing to you again this week. Um, So I'll just tell you about it a little bit as we go. But here in verse 11, I want to read a couple of verses. It says, At this time... Jesus was getting close. That's fixin' to. Jesus is getting close to entering Jerusalem. The crowds that followed him were convinced that God's kingdom realm would fully manifest when Jesus established it in Jerusalem. So he told them this story to change their perspective. Once there was a wealthy prince who left his providence to travel to a distant land where he would be crowned king and then return. Before he departed, he summoned his 10 servants together and he said, I am entrusting each of you with $50,000 to trade while I'm away. Invest it and put the money to work until I return. He said, invest it. Now, when Jesus told parables and, and a parable, any parable is this way. They're not just stories. They're stories, but they're not just stories. Every parable has a mystery, and every parable has symbolism in it. If you don't know the mystery or you you can't get the mystery, you can't get the symbolism, then you miss the deep meaning of the parable, and it's just a cool story. And so Jesus told this story, and it, it is centered around this prince who goes away, his servants who are being entrusted with the prince's stuff, and the stuff, money. So centered around the prince, the the servants, and the money. And, And when the prince gives that money to his servants, what we find is that he says, take this money. They all received the same measure of money. Take this money and invest it. Put my money to work. Put my money to work. In the King James, it says, occupy till I come. The words occupy encompass invest and put my money to work. When he says occupy, he is saying, do business, buy and sell, trade, invest, and put what I've put into your hands to work. Okay, you got it? We good? So this is the way the story goes as we begin to see, is the prince is going away for a season to be crowned king. There's other people that don't like that. They don't want him to be their king, but he goes away to be crowned king. The symbolism here is that, and what Jesus is trying to get across to them, is he's the prince. He's not coming in to set up his kingship He has got to go away before and be crowned king before he comes in and sets up his kingship in Jerusalem. So he's got to go away for an extended period of time before returning to set up his kingdom. So he brings in his servants, and and I find that very um, interesting. I looked up the word servants because we have this thing, this mindset, when we hear this word servants, a lot of times we think of slaves. And that's pretty pretty good description in this. But the difference between a slave and a servant is that a slave is made to be there. A servant is willingly there. This servant here is called a bond servant. A bond servant. In other words, a bond servant is one, and I'll give you this definition of a bond servant. It is one who voluntarily has given up his own will to serve the entire will of another. Does it sound familiar? If you are a Christian, you are a bondservant to Jesus Christ because you give up your entire will to serve his entire will, to make sure that his thing gets done on this earth while he's away. Amen? Amen. That's why the Apostle Paul, when he writes his letters through the New Testament, every letter, almost every letter that he writes, he says, I, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. It's because he's willingly give up, given up everything that he is in order to serve the purpose of everything Jesus is. Amen. Amen. It means you're sold out. You got to sell out. Those bondservants sold everything out to be with their their prince. Amen? Amen. So when Jesus calls in, or the prince calls in these servants, he gives them the same measure of the prince's money. Last week, we found out that it's really not money that we've been given as Christians. It is faith. We've all been given the measure of faith. We've all been given the same measure of faith. I don't have any more faith than you have. Even though I'm a preacher, and I've been called to preach... That doesn't mean that I have a better line with God than you do. You have the same line. You have the same faith. You have the same ability. You have the same potential that I have when it comes to faith. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Been given the same measure of faith. And this came to me while I was... I've heard somebody say this before, but as I was um, putting this together this week, this come to me that faith... Is the currency of the kingdom. This is why it's related to money in this in this parable, because faith is the currency of our kingdom. You want to operate in the kingdom of God? You've the only way you can operate is with faith. That's that's why. <clears throat> I believe that's why when, when Jesus encountered this guy called the that we call the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and said, "What do I have to do to be saved?" And Jesus said, "Sell what you have, give to the poor, and come and follow me." And the guy turned around and went away mad. And Peter goes, "Why is he all upset?" And Jesus said, "How hard is it? How hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God." He wasn't saying he wasn't saying it's impossible for a rich man. It's just the rich man associates his getting by through his money. Whereas in the kingdom, your money has no effect when it comes to believing God and getting something in the kingdom comes by faith. Faith is the currency of the kingdom. So these servants had the responsibility. Their responsibility was to steward that currency. In the parable, it was to steward the money for us as Christians It is to steward faith, to oversee that faith and manage it as if it were ours, as if we were the owner. Because we're not the owner of faith. God is the owner of faith. And he he has given us his faith through his prince, and we all operate in his faith. And that's what we talked about last week is operating in God's faith. So he gives them this. He says, occupy. He says, put it to work. Occupy. Occupy. Say that with me. Occupy. Amen. So when the prince returned as king in the parable, as the prince returned as king, he called his servants together. Now, this speaks to the uh, what, what preachers or uh, scholars, Christian scholars would call eschatology. It speaks to the end times. There is a time that our king is going to come back. Our king has not returned yet but he's saying in the parable, there's a time when the king returns and he's going to call the servants in and he's going to say, what have you done with my currency? And so in the, in the parable, the first one comes in and he said, I've, I've, I've taken your currency and I have multiplied it 10 times. He says, splendid. That's what the passion says. The, the other versions say, well done. Well done, just like you want your hamburger. Well done. I like mine a little pink. Anyways, <clears throat> I hope that don't speak about my faith. <laughs> Maybe the next guy, the second guy that come in, he's, his was a little pink. Because he says, I've, I've only taken it and, and, and multiplied it five times more. So in both instances, God says, or the, the prince says, well done, now you are ruler over 10 cities and you who did five times as much, you're ruler over five cities. You are authority in those places. But there's one guy left and he's the guy that I really want to push into today. The third guy comes in. Even though there's 10 servants, there's only three that are spoken about. And this last guy, I guess this last guy is the one that just left everything out in the open. In verse uh, 20, Luke 19:20 says this: Another came before the king and said, "Master, here is the money you entrusted to me. I hid it for safekeeping. You see, I live in fear of you, for everyone knows that you're a strict master and impossible and impossible to please. You push us for high return on all that you own, and you always, you always." That's something you never say, always and never. Don't say that in a conversation, especially with your spouse. Oh, dear God. He said, you always want to gain from someone else's efforts. The king said, you wicked servant. We found out last week that the word wicked means annoying. You annoying sucker. I will judge you using your own words. If, you say, if, if what you say about me is true, that I am a harsh man pushing you for high return and wanting, gain from, wanting to gain from others' efforts, why don't you at least put my money in the bank to earn some interest on what I entrusted to you? Yeah, that's what he said. <clears throat> this guy comes in and he says, here's your money back. I didn't get any return on it because I hid it away. I didn't lose it, but I didn't gain anything. Why didn't he gain anything? He says it the next thing out of his mouth. He says, because I feared you. Because I feared you. The word fear that is used in this parable is the Greek word fear. Phobio—that's where we get our word phobia from. Fear of anything—a fear of spiders, a fear of snakes, a fear of your spouse. <laughs> no, that's a godly reverence right there. That's not a—that's a, that's a different fear. <clears throat> the word phobio in in the Greek means to hesitate. Or to seize with alarm for fear of harm. To hesitate or to be seized. To hesitate. This guy did not do anything because he hesitated for fear of his master, for fear of the king, for fear of the prince. And as I was reading this, I started asking myself questions. And and I I want to throw a question out to you. I've got a couple of them today that I want to throw out to you. And it's not really, I'm not throwing these questions out to you for an answer. I'm throwing out these questions for a thought, just for you to be thinking. But I started thinking about this. Who or what influenced this man while the prince was away to make him fear the prince? Who made him fear? He said some pretty harsh things about the prince. Now, listen, when, when the prince called him in, when he called all of them in, they were followers. They are bond servants. They are living for the prince. But something while that prince was away, something got in that dude's head. Someone or something got into his head that began to shift his thought Toward the prince in a negative way. Brought about a false narrative of the very one that he had given his life to. And in that moment or in those moments, it caused fear. And that fear arrested his faith. Fear will always arrest your faith. See, faith and fear are diametrically opposed to one another. You can't operate in faith and be in fear in a negative way. It, it won't come to pass. Um, one of the things, I, th- I think I've preached on it before, but a few years ago I went down to, <clears throat> I went to Georgia and um, went to a healing school there. And that didn't mean I'm the devil that I went down to Georgia, (laughs) but I went, I went to Georgia to this, to this healing school right after the doctor had diagnosed me a few months after that. And, and so I went to this, this healing school and was in that, I was there for two weeks and we were in meetings from eight till five every day. Just learning and being in the Word of God. And one of the things that I learned while I was there that I had never seen before was that we have fear faith. We can have fear faith. We can we can step out in faith because we fear something so bad. You know, if if there's a disease or a diagnosis, that can bring fear to our lives. And we that know about faith can try to activate our faith into that fear, but we don't find anything happening in that spiritually because we're trying to push two things together that don't go together. It's like putting two magnets together on the same pole that, that won't go together. So you've either got to get rid of the fear and get in faith, or you've got to exalt the fear and, and do away with the faith. I, I know where I want to be. But see, this guy is in that situation to where he's pushing fear to the top and his faith, the faith that Jesus gave him is not being used in the manner that it's supposed to be used in because it's, it's like two magnets on the same pole coming together and they just won't fit together. Does that make sense? So I, I'm, I'm thinking about this this week and putting this together and if I, I begin to look at this and think, well, if, if outside influence can incite fear, in one who has been trusted with the currency of the kingdom, this burning question come into my mind. Is what was was it that drove the other ones to profit ten times and five times as much? Because they were living around the same people. They were in the same world or the same culture and they all had the same faith they 're all hearing the same things, but something influenced this guy that the others were able to not listen to not be afraid of risk. They stepped out and risked the master or or the prince's money his they, they stepped out and risked that so that they would get a profit, but he wouldn't do it. so what made them profit when they were hearing? and living in the same world that that he was living in. And I believe that the, um, I believe that that answer of what made them profit compared to him is found outside of the parable. It's found outside the parable. I think, that it's found inside the parable, but where I want to bring it from is from outside the parable. See, Jesus Jesus lived in a corrupt world. Jesus lived in a dishonest and crime-filled society. I think I, I look around at the news and, and see what world we're living in. We're we like, hey, the world's gone to hell in a handbasket, <laughs> Right? We see some of the stuff going on in the news, you know, and I know fake news, all that kind of stuff, but still it's, it's out there. Things are happening. They may not be happening in the parking lot of cowboy church, but they're happening in the world and it's terrible. But Jesus lived in the same kind of world. I think if we were to ask Jesus, what kind of society did you live in? Oh, that has gone to hell in a handbasket. It's crazy. It's a crazy world. Jesus lived in a crazy world and it wasn't just the government of his community, Rome, that were the crazy ones. It was mainly his own religion. It was mainly the church that he knew that were the crazies. However, it never hindered or arrested or limited or restricted Jesus' faith. So how did that not affect him? How did he do it? What was it? I'm so glad that you asked that question because I want to show you in Matthew chapter 22. Go over to Matthew chapter 22. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. We'll put it up on the screen here in a minute. But here in Matthew chapter 22, what we've got to understand is that the religious community is constantly, continually challenging Jesus and his faith. Continually. The religious community, I'm not talking about Rome. I'm talking about the Jewish community that Jesus was in, those people that he grew up with, the people that knew him, are continually challenging his faith. And they're continually trying to trip him up, however unsuccessfully. But they're continually trying to trip him up and they're, they, so they can bring accusation against him. And so they, they in this uh, account that I want to read to you is that they brought in their best lawyer. Now, how, how many of you know lawyers are smart in the area in which they are trained. Yeah. And so they bring in this lawyer to kind of trip Jesus up because Jesus is not a lawyer per se, but he knows more about the word of God than they do. Yeah. But they don't know that. They, they're trying to trip him up. So they brought in their best lawyer and they bring this question to him. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. I just want to read this one verse to you. From the Passion Translation, this lawyer poses this question. He says, teacher... To Jesus, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Now, what you have to understand is there are six hundred and thirteen laws in in Moses' law. Six hundred and thirteen. Then you have a little sub packet of laws called the Ten Commandments. So, posing this question, what what, what this what this lawyer is saying to them is he saying? What is the central component or the central principle in all of God's word? <clears throat> and so what they're trying to do is get him to say, well, you know, one of the 613s, don't uh, don't eat bacon. <laughs> you know, how many of you know that's not of God? No, <laughs> it's what God's word says, but I'm not even going to go down that road. I, I can't even do it because... I'm liable to break that before the day's over. <clears throat> but they're trying to trip him up by, by giving something from the 613 or thou shalt not murder from the 10 commandments. They, you know, if he, if he says one of those, we've got him because that's not the central principle. They know what the central principle is. And so they ask him this question, what is the central principle? What is the greatest command? In the law. And so Jesus answers their question. Listen to what he says, verse 37. Jesus answered him and he says, Love the Lord your God with every passion of your your heart, with all the energy of your being, and with every thought that is within you. This is the great and supreme commandment. And the second is like it in importance you must love your friend, in the same way you love yourself. Contained within these commandments to love, you will find all the meaning of the law and the prophets. Jesus said, love. Love God. Mm -hmm. Love people. Now they're trying to trip him up, but he says, love Is the central component and the central principle to everything. He says, Love. 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 Love is the reason that Jesus' position and purpose was never derailed because he loved. It's love. His faith, Jesus' faith, because he operated from the principle of love, his faith was never arrested. His faith was never derailed. His faith was never taken off track. So here's another question What is this love? That was Jesus' central principle. That was central component to who he was. What is is this love? Because love, the word love in our day is a very broad meaning, has very broad meanings. You say love to one person, it means different than it's saying love to another person. Probably when I said love is a central component... Everybody has this different level or different thought or different mindset on the word love. When you look in the Greek New Testament or or the Greek where the New Testament is written from, you find that there are four words that mean love and they're different words meaning love. These these words written in the New Testament are just written in English as love. But they're four different words. And a couple of them aren't even in the New Testament. A couple of them aren't even even in the Bible. But the Greeks had four words for love. And I want to share those with you just really quick and give you their meanings. The first one is the word eros. Eros, E-R-O-S, eros. It's where we get the term erotica from because it's a sexual type of love. The second word you notice how I just went through that, just, just, just grazed that, and just pushed on. I wasn't gonna uh, touch on that. Anyways, uh, the second one is the word phileo. Phileo, It's it's where we get our word Philadelphia from, the city of brotherly love, because the word phileo is a friendship type of love. It's like having, uh, you know, the, uh, a close relationship with somebody else outside of of um, re- uh, outside of uh, of kindred relationship. Having a best friend, that's the phileo type of love. The third word is a word called storge. Storge <clears throat> is not in the Bible. It's not mentioned in the Bible. It's, it's mentioned as a compound word, but not as a word by itself. But the word storge is a kindred type of love. It'd be parent, a parental love or, or a sibling type of love. It's, it's within the family relationship. Storge is that word. And then the last and final one, the big one, is agape. Agape is divine love. It is a love that we, <clears throat> that we as human beings cannot produce on our own because it's from a higher power. It is divine. It is God's love. And last week when we talked about God's faith, that we are to steward God's faith, we are to also steward God's love. Becoming a Christian gives us access to the love of God in a way that we've never experienced love, and that love is called agape. So when, when Jesus, in this parable, said love, he said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. The word love that he used was a word based on agape called agapeo. Agapeo is an action word. It's not a noun. It's not a person, place, or thing type of deal. Agapeo is putting that love into action. Agapeo means a powerful action of affection motivated by, divine, by the divine living inside a person. Let me say that again whenever my wife is over here on the front row and she goes, huh, I need to repeat that because she's saying, let them know that again. Agapeo is a powerful action of affection motivated by divine living, by the divine living inside a person. See, it is God's love to us, in us. And through us. So, back to the parable of the pounds. When we come back to the parable of the pounds and we ask the question what drove the faithful servants to profit 10 times more, five times more, even, even what Jesus said, even to put my money in the bank and let it earn a little bit of interest. What was it that motivated them to do that? It was agape, love. Love for their prince. See, Jesus said in Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. See, this prince going away to be the king, and when he returns, he's the king. They know he's going away to be crowned king, and so he's going to be the ultimate and these guys that made a profit are the ones going, I love that guy so much. I'm going to do what he said to do, and I'm going to occupy. I'm going to occupy with my faith. I'm going I'm to profit his currency. I'm going to build my faith, and I'm going I'm to take his faith, and I'm going to use it to where it's being transferred into the kingdom. He says, I'm, I love my prince so much. Their love was born from their honor and their devotion to help His purpose and will. They didn't do it for themselves. They did it for Him. Number two was their love for their people. Listen, their love for people with the currency that they've been given is to make sure that others would experience the grace that their prince had given to them. To make sure that they gave the grace given to them for others to experience. Jesus told that guy, at least you could have put it in the bank. At least you could have done something with it to make a little bit of... You know, at least least you could have told your mama... Who, who don't know me about me. Are you hearing me? You could have done something with it besides put it in a napkin and stuff it in the cushion of the couch. You could, have, you could have done something. But he said, I feared you. And when we fear, we cannot use faith. And we cannot walk in love. Because fear will override your love for people. Fear will override your love for God. Going to heaven, dying and going to heaven, absolutely. You're still going to get to experience the, the kingdom and the sweet by and by. But we want the kingdom in the nasty here and now. Amen. We want the kingdom in the nasty here and now. We want faith now. We want love now. God wants you to have faith now and love now because he gave it to his son Jesus who gave it to us to, to, to manage, to steward until he comes back again because he's still on that leave. He's still away, but we can still by faith bring and love bring that kingdom to earth. man, occupy, occupy. These guys who profited lived around the same people in the same world in the same faith. Jesus lived with the same people, the same world and the same faith that we live in. Yeah, times have changed and technology has changed and all the kinds of things have changed, but it's still the same. It's still a wicked place. It's still a corrupt land that we live in. But they did not let fear of the world's influence arrest their faith. So Jesus, our king, is saying to us, Occupy. Occupy. I believe that that phrase came to me because he's wanting me as a spokesperson to you to say, Occupy. You've been given this wonderful God's kind of faith and God's kind of love. Now, Occupy. Invest it. See, you take territory. You take territory whenever you put it to work because you you start occupying. Your your world, the borders of your world begin to expand when you occupy the place that you're at. When there's nowhere else to go, move the fence. Go outside the fence. Create a new territory. That's what the pioneering spirit is about. That's why I believe the Cowboy Church is a pioneering church because we're we're able to go beyond the fences that we've been put in. Going into new territories. Occupy. Occupy till I come, he said. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13, you've probably heard this before, but from the Passion Translation, it says, until then, occupy. Until then, There are three things that remain faith, hope, and love. Yet love surpasses them all. So above all else, so above all else, so above all else, let love be the beautiful prize for which you run. I love that. In the New King James, it says this and now abide. The word abide means to live and to dwell. You're to live and dwell. Now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. See these servants, these bond servants in the parable, loved their prince who was to be king. They loved their prince They loved the people around them enough to say, I'm going to invest what my prince has given me into them. I don't care how nasty they are. I don't care how corrupt they are. I don't care how ridden with crime they are. I don't care how many rocks they throw at the police. I don't care how many uh, F words are spray painted on the Capitol. I don't care about all the windows that are broken out. They need love. Do I want to throttle them in my, in my flesh? Absolutely. I want to just knock the tar out of them. But there's a love on the inside of me that I've been given that I need to push into. Now, that may not be for everybody. That may not be for everybody to go and, and, and get those people. But, there, but you may have a neighbor next door that is flying a flag that you don't like. But it's still, we need to go beyond the fence. We need to love them. They're, the love of God is worthy of who they are no matter where they're at. There may be a guy on the street corner that's so dirty and nasty and stinky holding up his cardboard sign that's looped out of his mind. But there is a love of God inside you to help them see and share the faith that you've been given. To bring heaven to earth, to bring the kingdom to this earth. So here's what I want to say to you in closing today. Don't let the hot button issues of your day get to you. Social injustices, politics, media, misinterpreted doctrines of the church or religion of any sort. Don't let those things begin to produce fear into your life. Even through our anger, sometimes we get scared. Maybe that's why we get angry is because we're scared. But don't let those things produce fear in your life, causing us to hide God's faith and his love in a napkin. Because when we hide his love and faith in a napkin, when we finally come face to face with our king, I don't want him to say, You annoying sucker. You annoy me with your fear. See, the word wicked in the Latin comes from the word wick that we have in a candle. And what it is, it's twisted material. When we get twisted in our thinking, we become wicked. And we become annoying. We ain't worthy of nothing but to burn. Amen or ouch on that one. But to occupy, to occupy in this earth, to occupy with what Jesus has given us, to occupy with faith, to occupy with love, that love that comes from God, that faith that comes from God. For us to occupy is to put faith in, and love into action. Not stuff it in a couch cushion while we turn the TV with our remotes. Because when we occupy, listen to this, when we occupy, the kingdom of God is birthed into new territories and expanded into new realms. The kingdom of God is birthed into new territory and expanded into new realms. It's going to take us beyond the borders, y'all. Am I telling you this because it's easy? No. It ain't easy. We all have eyes. We all see what's going on and we all have emotions and we all get passionate about what we get passionate about. And I'm not saying to not get passionate. But I'll tell you where the kingdom of God begins to operate the strongest. The kingdom of God operates the strongest when our heart breaks for something. When our heart breaks for a people. I I, I looked to this side of the room because this morning I got to meet a, a young couple that are missionaries to Kosovo. Their heart has broken for people somewhere that's not here. And they're breaking, they're breaking into, you guys are breaking into new territories. You guys are breaking into new realms because of your love for a people that we we don't always know about. But your heart, your, I'm, I'm sorry for, for bringing all this in, but it just went off when I looked over here. Because that's, I got all these little goosebumps and stuff. <laughs> But when our heart breaks, when, our, when the passion comes and our heart breaks for people, that's where God's love and his faith is the strongest. That's what the kingdom is about. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, God, for your, for your trust in us as Christians. For you trusting us with your kingdom, for you trusting us with your love, for you trusting us with your faith. God, I, I, I'm humbled. I'm humbled at what you would do for us and what you would do with us and to us and give in us to operate. Father, I just thank you so much. Thank you so much. God, I just pray that we would begin to look at the world around us and say that there is nothing going to arrest our faith. There is nothing going to arrest the love that you've placed on the inside of us. There's nothing that's going to seize us, nothing that's going to hinder us, nothing that's going to derail us. There is nothing that's going to do. Those things that we see are only going to impassion us to go after and establish your kingdom in a new territory. Father, as our hearts break for those around us, Father, I pray that we would be motivated to bring your kingdom to that. And we thank you so much for that. Now, Father, I pray that if there's anybody under the sound of my voice that's never stepped into your realm, who's never stepped into your kingdom, they've heard about this Christianity thing, but they've never stepped into the Christianity with everything they have. They've never become a bondservant. And maybe that is a scary thing for them. But Father, I pray that you would begin to show us how to be that bondservant. And if there's anybody that has never stepped into that realm this morning, I I pray that they would just catch a vision. They would catch a vision of this Jesus that went to a cross to die on the cross for the sins of people, to die for the sicknesses and the diseases to die for this messed up world, to make this messed up world right again, one soul at a time. That they would get a vision of this Jesus that's on a cross, bloody and beaten, swollen in his eyes, but still he's able to crack those eyes open and look at us eye to eye, And as he looks at us eye to eye, he asked us the same question that he asked all his disciples. Will you come and follow me? Will you come and follow me? He's saying, I'm taking this on the cross for you in order for you to come and follow me. If you've never said yes to him and you've never become a follower of him, right now is your time. There is no prayer that can get you in. There is no walk in an aisle that can get you in. There's no raising your hand that can get you in. There's only a yes and follow him. That's all there is to it. It's easy. It's one of the most fulfilling things that you could ever do. But if that's you this morning and you need to say yes, just say yes, right where you sit, right where you are. If at one time you followed him and you you're not following him anymore, but this morning you're listening or you're watching or you're here and you need to say yes again, but you don't know if he'll accept your yes again, absolutely, he's a God of grace and mercy and he will accept your yes again. If you need to say yes again, say yes this morning. Father, I thank you for these that have said yes all over this building and all over um, the network land out there, Facebook land, live watching this program and father i just pray that right now in jesus name that they would experience a brand new person on the inside of them and as they become jesus followers that they become god followers that god you would encounter them and you would when you pour your love into them and you pour your faith into them that they will experience that physically mentally spiritually. I thank you and I praise you for who you are and all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.